This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Tom and Brandy on what should be the final day of COP, but will it be? Uh, we've been looking at the inability so far, at least at the recording of this podcast, to reach consensus on the text of that global stock tape agreement that needs to come out of COP28. Uh, Producer Mohammed's been speaking to one Norwegian legal advisor uh, who's been working on climate change negotiations with the Norwegian government for over a decade, Christina Voigt, to get her thoughts about where we are now. We've also been speaking to one man, Tanzin Alam, the Managing Director of Earth Matters Consulting, who has been consulting with and advising governments in such matters, as well as businesses and NGOs as well. And to change tack completely, we've been looking at the outrageous predictions that come every year from Saxo Bank, uh, events that are unlikely to happen, but if they did, would massively move markets, speaking to the Chief Investment Officer there, Steen Jacobson. And we've been talking tax with John Casey from VirtuZone. It's the final day. There's a little bit of tension. There's a little bit of argy-bargy. There's a little bit of, well, everyone's a little bit nervous at the moment. They don't really know what's going to be happening in the next couple of hours because it's, well... The countdown is on, uh, but Brandy Scott, we're still none the wiser as to whether we're going to get a deal or no deal. You're just pointing out there's quite frankly not enough entertainment in these negotiations, is there? I, I stand by my... Re- Listen, I am not here as a party pooper, OK? But I stand by my initial point that if you're going to put the word parties into the title for your uh, climate conference... There's got to be a bit of party in there as well. Well, it's not much party, although they have been up all night. Um, it's an all-nighter then. Yeah, it, it, it will have been an all-nighter um, to try and reach a consensus because you need absolutely everyone at the table, 198 countries, um, to come to an agreement. You cannot have a split vote on this. We are going to hear from experts throughout the show this morning on where we are with the negotiations and what needs to happen. Uh the arguments over, or the disagreement rather, over the, the phasing out, if you like, of the phrase phase out. A number of countries and groups have said um, that they cannot sign the deal as it stands, but that they do not want to see negotiations collapse. Our producer, Mohammed Sullivan, has been speaking to someone who knows a little bit about this. Uh, Christina Voigt has been working as a legal advisor and climate negotiator for the government of Norway for more than a decade. He asked her what she made of the latest draft text on fossil fuels uh, with that change language that was released last night. Obviously, this is not the final text. Uh, it is a reiteration of a draft. And, and we are where we are, where we still need to see where parties can agree in the end. And I think what is happening now is a, a, a 
kind of a test to see how parties react to that current text. It is falling behind the requirement by many parties to have a complete phase-out of all fossil fuels, or at least a phase-out of uh, coal in there, but we, we see different pathways now being included in that particular paragraph, which is you know something that not all parties want and not all parties can accept, but by the end of the day, it will have to be a compromise. And one thing which is important about this process here is that it usually works in incremental steps and smaller steps, step by step. It's it's usually not a process that takes giant leaps. And if you compare what we have right now in this text to the previous version from Glasgow and, and last year, Shamal Sheikh, it is an increase. It is a step forward, but it is still falling behind what many parties uh, want to see. So we will still have to wait for the consultations that happen tonight with the heads of delegation and see um, most likely a, another version of the text um, tomorrow and I have a feeling that it may strengthen, strengthen, have strengthened language on, um, on fossil fuels. Well, the EU has said, one of their lead negotiators has said, um, that they can't accept it as it is. The umbrella group of countries, US, UK, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Canada and Japan have said that they cannot be a co-signatory to it. Antonio Guterres, who is the UN Secretary General, did a stand-up yesterday. Producer Mohammed and I were there. He was using the language phase out. That is before the new text um, came out. Let's hear what might happen today. Mohammed's been asking Christina what she thinks needs to happen for the countries to get to the point that they can agree. Basically, it is to deliver on its mandates. And the mandates for the COP are set years in advance, but they're adopted at the first day of the COP. And there's a whole set of, of different mandates upon which the, the COP will have to deliver. Sometimes that doesn't work, then this topic rolls over to the next COP. It's called, you know, according to Rule 16, which says if something cannot be resolved, then the next COP will have to deal with it. But Primarily, the, the draft, uh, the, the set mandates need to be uh, fulfilled, and that is, for example, a decision on the global stock take, which is so important for this COP because it is the first time the global stock take decision is to be adopted. That will happen every five years. The stock take is a very important element in the architecture of the Paris Agreement because it is meant to inform the next round of parties' NDCs and their adaptation plans and their finance commitments, and it's a, an element to ratchet up ambition towards all three goals of the Paris Agreement. So it's very important that this comes out right, it's operational, it's manageable, because it will set a precedence for everything that will follow for many years to come. So making the COP a success, in addition to the adoption of the guidance for the loss and damage fund, which already happened on day one, but making this COP a success, uh, in my view, requires a very good and solid, robust decision on the global stock take. But with the draft that came out today, we are on our way. There are still many concerns, but but it, it, it is obviously moving toward an acceptable outcome by many parties, and that, that will be important. That will define the success of this COP. That is uh, the negotiator that um, producer Mohammed has been speaking to, Christina Voigt, who has been uh, working as a legal advisor and a climate negotiator for the government of Norway for the past decade. Serena Kelly is in studio with us. Uh, Serena, you've been keeping an eye on developments down here at COP as well. Yeah, so off the back of what Brandy's been saying, we actually found out also yesterday Azerbaijan are going to host the next COP, COP29. So that news was shared yesterday. And I thought that since it's the 
scheduled last day, uh, might be nice to hear some of the voices of COP and what people have thought about it. So you've had delegates, experts, international organisations. Most days there have been themes as well, such Mm. as food, agriculture and water, nature, land use and oceans, youth, children, education and skills. So looking at education... Christopher Castle, the Director, Division for Peace and Sustainable Development Education Sector for UNESCO, shared his thoughts on how the U- on the UAE and how they've been an important partner in promoting the Greening Education Partnership. 34 countries have already endorsed this declaration calling for stronger action on climate education. We're very grateful to the Ministry of Education in particular for their leadership. I'm here at the COP to have the first education hub. One thing that's very important is that I think 60% of the 82 countries who are part of the Greening Education Partnership have told us that they're planning to revise their curricula in the next three years. That's an enormous opportunity and when we do that we'll be looking not only at traditional forms of formal education in the classroom, but how that can be supplemented and supported with digital learning as well. Then you've had the Minister of Environment and Energy of the Republic of Costa Rica sharing their thoughts on COP28 as well. We're extremely happy with the organization and we also would like to congratulate the presidency, Dr. Sultan Aljaber, for these early successes as getting the loss and damage fund operationalized and the first pledges for funding. Of course, we would like to see how this is going to be sustainable in time. We're also very happy with the COP28 uh, global stock take. I think we, we are getting there and the presidency is working hard on getting us there and we would like to see future, but we like very much the approach of action. So COP28 President Dr. Sultana Jaba expected to share the news on where we stand on the global stock take and that's from yesterday that was announced from we're expecting to hear that about 11 o'clock this morning but obviously we'll be keeping across it for you yeah uh, that is all coming your way a little bit short a little bit later on um right trip down memory lane why ready Thank you very much for the care, we're grateful. Thank you very much, thank you very, very, very much. Thank you very much for being so helpful. Thank you very much, very much. Thank you very much for doing the dishes. Thank you very much, thank you very, very, very much. Thank you very much just for being my missus. Thank you very, 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 very much. It's the best. So that was the old theme tune for Roses. Apparently they've changed it, 2018. They've got a new... Sonic logo or something like that, but that's that's what it was back then. That was the be- That's what I would hear on the TV when yeah. I go back to New Zealand and visit my gran. That was that was. Well, that the didn't ad. sound very Kiwi. Well, maybe. Oh, the, hello, producer. The bloke from Barnet singing it. <laughs> Where's the New Zealand one? It's Australian. Okay, that's, that's definitely the Aussie yeah. one. Okay. Nope. There are other versions. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Having a look at where we are with COP negotiations at the moment. It is the final day uh, for COP28 for negotiating on that global stock take document. Uh, There has been a change to one of the the phrases um, or one of the options that was in a draft text um, and the suggestion that fossil fuels could be phased out has been well phased out. Um, Instead it has been replaced with uh, a new phrase talking about the option to reduce both consumption and production of fossil fuels in a just, orderly and equitable manner so as to achieve net zero by before or around 20 
2050. It is all very granular, um, but a number of those at the negotiating table have said that they are not at this stage willing to sign one of the chief negotiators for the EU um, and indeed a group of countries known widely as the umbrella countries which includes the UK, Australia, the US, Japan, Canada and New Zealand. We are having a look now at what this means for negotiations going forward. Uh, speaking to a man whose company uh, works with governments, works with non-profits and works with businesses to address climate challenges. We are joined on the line by Tanzid Allen, Managing Director of Earth Matters Consulting. Tanzid, it's lovely to speak to you again. Good morning. Good morning. Lovely to speak to you again. Uh, and amongst all of uh, the the language in this document, it does seem that there is just a couple of dozen words that people are focusing on this morning. Uh, put it in context for me, um, the uh, the removal of the, the option to phase out. Ultimately, this gives... You know, a nod to divisions that have plagued the UN Climate Convention for a number of decades, to be honest. Um, Fossil fuel producers like Saudi Arabia and the OPEC members have for a long time seen action on climate change as a threat to their survival. And any kind of idea around phasing out or even phasing down production of oil and gas in particular, and even coal in the case of India, is seen as a as a threat to their economy and their development. This is playing out again in this COP, and the sad reality of it is, and it is sad. I've been following these negotiations for now on twenty years now. Um, is that we are in a crisis mode when it comes to climate change on the same level as the pandemic, as we see wars being fought around the world. This is a threat that is acute that is affecting us now. Yet, collectively, we are unable to take the action that's required to address the root cause of the problem, which is essentially our addiction to fossil fuels and reducing our emissions of heat-trapping greenhouse gases. So that's the crux of it, and it hasn't been... um, I'm very disappointed to see what's happened. Okay, can we compare where we are with this statement to where we are with those that we've seen coming out of Glasgow, that we saw coming out um, agreements from from Sham in terms of the inclusion of the term fossil fuels at all? Well, the first time it was included was actually in COP26 in Glasgow, where there was a, if you do remember, Alok Sharma uh, was in tears at the end. And um, because the water, the, the the term phase out of coal was watered down to phase down of coal because of a fight between India and China. So that's the first time it was included. Um, in Sham, it didn't really progress any further. Um, there was obviously in Sham, the big win there was for the loss and damage facility. And, and then obviously in this COP, the funding mechanism was agreed for the loss and damage fund on the first day of the COP, which is again, really positive momentum that continued. But anything around the global stock take and really looking at a short-term plan of how we close the gap in our emissions um, to keep one and a half degrees in reach, which the COP president has mentioned as his North Star. Um, it doesn't look very likely that we're going to close that gap, unfortunately, Brandy. What do we know at this stage about the divisions in the negotiations, where different teams stand? Sure. Well, well, the telling thing last night was um, Australia, U- EU, US and the umbrella group that you mentioned in your introduction have said they won't sign up to this. So 
can this be resolved today? Will the COP be extended by another day? That's going to be a, an issue there. I mean, the Saudi energy minister himself had said a few days ago that he would kind of it's it completely object any kind of text to phase out fossil fuels, oil, gas in particular for them. Um, he's been pretty consistent with that message for a number of years. Saudi is the biggest economy and the powerhouse in the in the region. So um, getting them on board on, on any language like that will take diplomacy of a level we have never seen before um, because of historically this has been their consistent position when it comes to climate negotiations. They're doing a lot domestically in Saudi Arabia, um, but is that being translated into their international um, negotiations at the climate cops? It's not to be seen yet. Um, OPEC as well, you know, they released their world out oil outlook this year which contradicted what the IEA's World Energy Outlook said in terms of oil demand. So obviously OPEC sees a much rosier picture for oil demand to grow in the future, especially from the Asia-Pacific region. Again, that means why would OPEC, if they see that as their um, their Bible, for example, the OPEC energy oil outlook, why would they even think about phasing down production? So there's all of these things were put in place a while ago. So in, in some ways I'm saying it's not a surprise, but it is coming to a head here but the contradiction is pretty massive in that if we're facing a climate crisis where the most vulnerable are being pummeled every day by climate change and its impacts, people are talking about how are refugees, where are refugees going to be housed, climate refugees from the small island states. Some of them said yesterday, we, we won't sign our own death certificates. I mean, that's pretty strong words. I, I was there at the closing plenary of the high-level climate champions um, gender and saw a protest there by an extremely brave girl who's 12 years old talking about the end, the need to end fossil fuels and phasing out. That's a 12-year-old girl getting on stage in front of dignitaries around the world. That takes some guts to do that. So um, you can see the divisions there are pretty stark. You've got big industry, big oil and gas, who have stood behind this for many decades. They've made billions in profits for their shareholders. Yet now we are seeing the most vulnerable still being left out to dry. Just 40 seconds left with you. Dr. Sultan said the time for discussions coming to an end. What happens if that consensus isn't reached today? How long could it run over for? What are the practicalities? Well, COPs have been extended in the past before if no consensus can be reached. It could be a bit of a fudge compromise. Um, depends on what happens. I was there in the Doha COP in 2012 where the COP president kind of gaveled his way through any objections to adopt the text because that went over as well that negotiation um that means essentially it's it's like you said it's words people are arguing about on tech but the words do matter you know in the eyes of the negotiators because they have to sign up to it and justify to their leaders the ministers back in their own countries why they've adopted that text so it will require pretty deft and detailed and behind closed doors diplomacy. The COP president, I'm sure, and his team will be working around the clock on this with the support of all their diplomats from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, seeing what they can do to find a compromised text. They'll have to be working around the clock with the UNFCCC. They'll be very tired people who probably have slept very little, which makes coming to a compromise and hearing other perspectives harder as well. So in all of that, I, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if it gets extended. If it stays, it's a decision for today. Um, then I, I can't see a positive outcome when it comes to the global stock take. I do. It Thanks. seems like it needs longer to resolve these deep divisions. 
I would also love to have longer Tanzi, but unfortunately we have to leave it there. Tanzi Allen, Managing Director of Earth Matters Consulting. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. And a bit of a break from COP news this morning, although oil does come into it. Um, at some point, but not how you might expect. Saxo Bank releasing its annual outrageous predictions. Uh, the eight predictions for 2024 are all about unlikely things, but things that if they happened uh, would be quite shocking to financial markets. Very pleased to be joined by Steen Jacobson. He is the Chief Investment Officer for Saxo Bank. Steen, it's lovely to speak to you again. Good morning. Good morning, and thank you for having me back on the show. Before we dig into a couple of these outrageous predictions to get an idea about your thinking, and they range from Robert F. Kennedy Jr. winning the 2024 U.S. presidential election um, to a national security crisis triggered by a deep fake. Tell me what your hit rate is like on these predictions. It's kind of, I always get that question. It's kind of ironic because, of course, the whole exercise is not to be right, but to actually provoke some thought thinking. And I think if we actually try to just be right, I think we will sort of limit ourselves in terms of the outcomes that we could uh, predict. But uh, someone did a survey anyway. And if you allow three years to to run, uh, give it three years to run, basically we have one and a half right uh, every, every, every year. Okay, one and a half out of eight. That is not bad going. You do say, though, at the beginning of this report that the world is at an inflection point. What do you mean by that and how does that impact what you've chosen as your outrageous predictions? Obviously, we have more geopolitical crises than we ever had before. Direct confrontation, uh, but also sort of the the semi-confrontation between China and the U.S. is one part. We have the political uh, anti-staffness movement that we've seen recently in the Netherlands, but also what we expect to see in terms of the U.S. election. And if you look at the uh, markets to, to get to that point, of course, in 23, one of the big surprises was that the market all of a sudden started to uh, doubt whether the U.S. actually can continue to issue this amount of debt without our, without paying a higher premium so i think a lot of things is really stress valuation in the stock market as you just uh, reference in your overview uh, everything is pretty much at a crossroad and something needs to happen we either need to become more productive or we need to find another way to reset sort of the financial and, and and economic engine of the world because with this inequality with this much discontent at a time where we have full employment i think it's it's pretty obvious that if we did not have that same amount of jobs uh, 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 people at work then a world will be a whole different place Okay, well then let's jump straight into one of your predictions. Will that reset look like the EU introducing a wealth tax? Yes, it's kind of ironic because one country in Europe actually beat us to it, which is Norway. Uh, maybe it's the uh, the old saying that uh, only the rich can afford to be uh, communistic, but basically they introduce a welfare tax in Norway. And overall, as you look forward into the next five to ten years, everyone, every government in Europe is short of uh, a tax receipt. One way to deal with that is playing on the anti-establishment and, and the populist vote and say we're going to tax the rich. Well, one of the other things that you have got down here is not so much taxing the uh, the rich, but um, making us healthier or not healthier. The 
very popular um, obesity drugs. You've got down here number five prediction um, would be the world hit by a major health crisis if obesity drugs stopped people from exercising. Yeah, we, we're raising one the fundamental question and a theoretical question: Is it a good thing that you can uh, you can uh, you can eat a pill and not uh, gain weight? Uh, and 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 this has huge ramifications because it's pretty clear that the public sector, the, the governments around the world, will see this pill as a potential to re- reduce the overall cost of healthcare. So there, there will be sort of from a from a government side be a push to use this pill. But at the same time, I think we need to understand that this could reduce. Uh, the social mobility if you are in the sort of in a situation where you're not able to 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 get a job or mobilize yourself uh, getting a pill and and staying within you know the four walls of your house and not getting out and and do what really is life quality which is to meet friends to to exercise to have a mentor to go down to the gym where you potentially meet someone who can offer you a job so we are very nervous about the social mobility and at the same time i mean the pill as everybody should know you know if you don't eat it you 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 are going to gain weight immediately so we foresee a situation where one there's going to be a huge discussion on the impact on this uh, two the philosophical issue we raised but more importantly you know if everyone gets on this pill it could create sort of a shortage in particularly in 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 people who cannot afford it to access in the early days which will you know create excess demand over supply uh, what could it mean though for the world's listed companies. I mean, you look at the effect here on stock markets. We know that food companies have already been studying some of the knock-on effects of these drugs. Yeah, I mean, the, the sort of ironic call we make is that McDonald's and, and, and Coke will go up in price because if you can eat a pill, no one would really care about uh, you know eating healthy. Uh, so people will go to what is much easier, which is go to the fast food side of things and, and sodas uh, with sugar. So, so absolutely, you will have a severe impact on we see now. And of course, valuation in this space is massive. Uh, Novo Nordisk, uh, yeah, the biggest company in Europe, uh, doing this pill, of course, has a GDP right now that is bigger than the uh, the GDP of the uh, sorry, a valuation that is bigger than the GDP of the country of Denmark. Uh, it just shows you how valuable this uh, pill and 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 is seen to to the market. Okay, well, let's move away from obesity injections and into one of the other things that's been making a lot of controversial headlines recently. Generative AI, one of your predictions that a deep fake could trigger a national security crisis. Have we not really come close to this with Tom Hanks and his fake dental advert? Yeah, no, I mean, and it's only going to get worse uh, I mean, in reality as well. But if you think about, you know, how, despite the AI uh, sort of initiative that we saw from the EU over the last couple of days, the only thing that's going to, you know, put up guardrails and AI will be a national security crisis. That's the only way we see that they're actually going to be a proactive move by governments to to make sure that uh, AI is not used uh, in the wrong way. And and the way that would happen in, in sort of the, 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 the thing we're trying to do here is to say, imagine, and this is imagine, but imagine the national security advisor is caught on tape, on video and audio, you know, delivering in some sort of uh, meeting in Paris to uh, his Chinese counterpart uh, as, as, a, as a part of, of making him, uh, you know, uh, in violation and, and, and treason, I mean, that could happen easily. I've uh, 
you know, friendly being exposed to my internal uh, anti-fraud department using my voice from the from my public videos to do a deep fake on my voice. This, you know, this, this deep fake can be used to do translation in a positive way, but it can also be used and will probably be used in, in, in counterintelligence as well. And as such, we think if that is elevated to a national security issue, mm-hmm. uh, that could be a clamp down on, on these companies that right now benefit hugely from, from the AR craze that we, we involve in. Uh, We have to leave it there, unfortunately, not even halfway through the predictions. That is Steen Jacobson, the Chief Investment Officer of Saxo Bank. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Tax Tuesdays on the Business Breakfast. With VirtuZone. Get tax ready for free at taxready.ie. Yeah, come on then. How many of you are tax ready? Uh, How savvy have you become with all things tax? Uh, well, the good news is we've got help at hand. The bad news is, though, what, three weeks until compliance requirements kick in. Uh, there's still a few question marks out there. Let's get the latest from the GM, the general manager, that is, of Zone Accounting and Tax. Uh, John Casey's been kind enough to join us live this morning. JC, good to see you as always. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me. So three three weeks and counting, and a busy three weeks it will be, what with office parties, crazy jumper get-togethers and all the bits and pieces going on, New Year celebrations as well. Your reading of the situation, I mean, we were forewarned, that's for sure, no excuse there. Are people tax savvy yet? Unfortunately, not really. Uh, What we are still seeing, especially in the small business sector, is that there is still a huge number of businesses that either are lacking information or or have the wrong information about how this applies to them. How much of an issue is misinformation out there? Uh, It's it's probably the the larger problem. I mean, there, there seems to be this confusion around paying tax versus being compliant. And it's the being compliant piece that people don't really understand that, you know, they actually have to be proactive and have to do things to make sure that they um, that they avoid fines, that they are doing what the FDA is asking of them. Is there an element of people taking advice from the wrong areas? Is there an element of a lot of sort of misinformation just being circulated out there or people just assuming that they know best? Um, there is certainly an element of, uh, you know, a guy, guy down at the pub told me. Um, and, you know, I, I think we're getting to the point now where you, you can't really use that as an excuse. You know, I think the real information or the, or the right information is out there. Um, and it's now time to actually, you know, make sure that you clearly understand what's real and, and what is actually required and, and what's just rumour and, um, and take the appropriate action. Sounds like almost this sort of, head in the sand attitude for a lot of people that you know it's not going to affect me and if i don't address it then i'll get away with it etc i mean i'm assuming that that's dangerous and how how do you try and abate that how do people how do you try and stop people doing that yeah it's 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 a tough one because when people get a piece of information that goes in their favor they they really cling to it Mm. uh whether it's true or not so um look we we we're trying to really uh you know especially here at virgin we're trying we're trying to get the information out there we're trying to help get people ready for tax. Um, I think, you know, the, the only solution is for people to take it on themselves to uh, <laughs> to get their head out of the sand and have a quick look around to see what's, you know, what's actually required. In terms of those requirements, uh, for those, again, that have had their head firmly in the sand, um, when do the requirements kick in? And if you are not compliant by that time, what could you be paying fine-wise? 
So that the big one is around accounting, uh, around bookkeeping. So that's the real immediate requirement that kicks in on the 1st of January. So you've got to have all of your accounting up to date. And, you know, whilst this, mount, this might sound, uh, you know, like a no-brainer to some people, for, for many companies in the UAE, they've never had to do this before. So there's, there's never been a reason for them to do any accounting or, or any reporting. So that's the piece that you've got about three weeks to get, you know, get your ducks in a row and make sure that it's all up and running by the 1st. Um, the FTA have made it very clear that, that this is the area where there will be the most or some of the most substantial penalties. So the immediate fine for, for not having correct financial records is 10,000 dirhams, and then that goes up to 20,000 dirhams if you don't rectify it. Um, let's look at it from both ends of the spectrum because you mentioned the big companies and obviously uh, if big companies have big budgets then obviously they will be better 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 insulated in terms of the the professionals on board but again we've seen a big boom in the demand for tax experts here as well a lot of freelancers coming to town as well are, are people getting the sort of freelance rules i think um strangely uh, or, or ironically, we've we've actually seen the freelance sector being one of the sectors that has been most proactive. <laughs> and I say ironically because they're the ones that have a little bit more of a leniency in in the rules. So, freelancers only <clears throat> excuse me, freelancers only actually have to register when they or it only applies to them when their revenue goes over a million dirham. Um, and so what we're seeing is actually a lot of freelancers being proactive, going and registering and getting uh, you know told by the FTA, thank you, but don't worry about it just yet, uh, which is encouraging. But, you know, it, it'd be great to see that same approach from uh, from from the sort of small micro businesses as well. So what's your what, what's your sort of top line advice to businesses out there at the moment? Again, I mentioned at the top that we're coming into a very busy time of year. In, inevitably, with these sort of things, there's a bit of a bottleneck, etc. But is three weeks enough time to get your ducks in a row? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there, there are... You know, if you're not doing it yourself, there are obviously providers like obviously VirtuZone yeah. is doing this all for free at taxready.ae. But, um, you know, it's it's a very quick process if you entrust it to someone who knows what they're doing. Um, they can get you up to speed and, you know, you can sort of sit back and and, uh, and enjoy those Christmas parties and be safe in the knowledge that uh, next year those parties will be tax deductible against your profit, I guess. Just on a little bit of an update as well, and, and your better understanding of the situation, we've seen a bit of a change in the free zone exemption rules. Are they going to have an impact? Yeah, so uh, it was quite an interesting update. So uh, what they have done is the FTA have now included an activity called qualifying intellectual property, which I think is, is, is a really good move. So the way that they've set it up is if you are spending money on research and development, and you're in a free, you know, you are a free zone company. There is now an avenue for you to get an exemption for the income that you earn off the back of that research and development spending. So it's a move to really sort of encourage the R and D spending here in the UAE, which I think is a, a really positive move. And there's also been this new law. I don't know if it's come to pass, <laughs> or certainly it's been mooted at the moment about top up tax. What's your sort of reading of that? So this goes back to the, I, I guess, one of the main drivers for bringing in a tax regime to the UAE, which is the, 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 the idea of a global minimum tax rate of 15%, for, especially for those big multinationals. So if you look at who this, this tax regime is aimed at in terms of who's actually going to be paying the tax, it's very much focused on those large multinationals. Mm. 
And what, what this top-up tax does, it's, it says top-up because, you know, the tax rate here in the UAE is going to be 9%. The global minimum tax rate that they're aiming for is 15%. So for those multinationals who haven't achieved that 15% tax rate, they'll be paying a, you know, effectively a 6% top-up uh, here in the UAE to make sure that those companies are abiding to that global minimum tax rate. Mm. What have we got? We've got about 40 seconds left with you, JC. I mean, uh, as I said, coming into a busy time of year, but one benefit here is that offices like Virtue Zones, etc., will be open during the holiday season, not like other parts of the world where they're invariably shut down. So, again, there are resources there. There are There is the ability for people to get help if they need to get things sorted. Absolutely. And, and you know, like you said, at Virtue Zone, we're, we're probably going to be absolutely flat out for the next three weeks as yeah. more and more of our clients, you know, come and get ready for this. Um, if you aren't ready yourself, we're offering a free service for people to, you know, get registered. We're, we're doing, you know, getting your accounting up to speed and onboarded with accounting software. All of it for free. They just have to go to taxready.ae and sign up. Uh, John, always good to catch up with you. Um, I'm sure I'll see you before Christmas or New Year, but Happy New Year uh, in advance of that. John Casey's the GM of Virtue Zones Accounting and Tax. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.